Hey everyone, how are y'all doing today? Well, um, as you all know, my name's Christopher, and uh, man, I'm really bummed that I'm not going to be able to share what God's put on my heart with y'all in person. Um, I really miss y'all, and I, uh, yeah, I really wish that we could be doing this in our normal family group room, fellowshipping together. But given this corona outbreak, uh, I'm glad that we're all safe at home. And uh, yeah, but I just think now more than ever is in a really important time to focus on God and what he has for us, what he says about us, and his mission for us in the world as it is right now. Because even though all of our routines are shattered and are, are different, um, God is still working. And God still desires to use each one of us to impact the communities that we're in. And uh, the only way that we're going to be able to be effective stewards of, uh, of Jesus is to really take some time to focus on Him. So that's what I'd like to do tonight. Um, yeah, so just to share with you what I feel like God's put on my heart. Um, yeah, before we get started, I just appreciate if you bow your head with me and pray. <sighs> Lord, I thank you for your love. Thank you for the way that you just care for us so intricately, Lord. Even in the midst of the most chaotic times in history, God, you have always been in control. You've always, you've always worked things for our good, Lord, and I pray that you would continue to, to do that. You would continue to draw us to you in relationship. You would continue to open our hearts and our eyes to how good you are, to the ways that you would like to use us to help other people, to show them love in such a broken and often hostile world that we live in, God. Please use us, Lord. But before you use us, I pray that you would just let us get to know you because that needs to be the motivation for everything that we do for you, Lord. I pray that you would open our hearts to the words that um, in, in your Bible that we're going to be looking at, God. And I pray that you would guide my words. Let them be inspired by the Holy Spirit, Father, and let only what you would like communicated to be communicated and to last, Jesus. Um, we pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, awesome. Well, thanks for tuning in wherever you are. Um, so we are going to be in John chapter 13 today. And we're going to be reading verses 1 through 15. So I'm going to just give you a few seconds here. If you want to pull out your Bible, whether you have old-fashioned hard copy or on your phone or your laptop or your tablet or wherever, um, just so you can follow along. I'm going to be reading from the ESV version. Um, I'm not going to have notes on the screen, obviously. So um, yeah, that way you can just follow along better with me if you'd like to do that. All right. So... A little context before I start reading these verses. Jesus is going to be eating the feast of the Passover with his disciples. Um, in this, he, uh, this was a Jewish holiday. This is a festival that they celebrated every year to commemorate God delivering the Israelites um, from slavery in Egypt. Um, so Jesus is here and he is celebrating this with his disciples the night before he goes to be crucified. So if you would join with me, uh, John chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own, 
who are in the world. He loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet also, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. All right. So that is the passage that we're going to be looking at. And chances are that if you've been in church um, at all uh, for a significant amount of time, you have probably heard this story um, talked about. Um, it's pretty well known. We do a lot of it. Um, we talk a lot about it because it's, it's so beautiful that Jesus is, is doing this humbling act of service for his disciples the night before he goes to give his life for them, for us, right? That, that Jesus is, is, is so high above them, and yet he stoops to such a low and humbly position as to wash their feet. Um, and so given that, given Jesus' explanation at the end, um, that you should go follow my example and you should be a humble, you should be uh, a leader that humbles themselves. This passage is oftentimes um, evidence for how Christians should lead. Um, we should be servant leaders, meaning even though we have a position of high authority and, uh, and high leadership, we should use it to help the, the more lowly and do the lowly tasks. And that is how in Christ's kingdom we, uh, we are leaders, by serving. Um, However, um, I'm not going to be talking about the servant leadership concept in this message. I actually just want to focus on a few verses, um, specifically verses 6 to 8, um, which is the dialogue between Peter and Jesus, and, um, and how Peter initially refuses Jesus' offer to wash his feet. And it's kind of strange, but I really like it, and I think that... This is Jesus is trying to communicate something really important to us, as he, he does to me every time I read this. And, but before, before we get into it, I really want to um, start with this anecdote. So the first time I was introduced to this text was um, the summer of 2015. Uh, I just started reading the Bible, like December 2014, and uh, I went on a mission trip with my church to Montreal, um, to Montreal, Canada, and we, uh, we were running a VBS for an Armenian immigrant church. And so uh, I think the kids were grades like one to six or something. 
And um, man, these kids were awesome. They were so full of energy. Uh, but there was a, there was kind of a significant language barrier. So these are children of Armenian immigrant families. So they speak Armenian pretty well. Um, they speak French because the the part of Montreal that we were in was mostly French speaking as a primary language, and some of them spoke English or, or could understand it. So I don't know how well we communicated with them and how much they understood of the gospel when we were there, but we had a lot of fun with them and we loved them, and uh, and that was it was a great time. But I remember I was one of the students that was in charge of running the VBS, um, running the VBS Bible teachings. So I wasn't, I wasn't doing the crafts with the kids. I wasn't playing sports. I was like trying to teach them the Bible and to keep them engaged and to keep them asking and answering questions, we would throw candy, um, into, you know, the, we would throw candy to the kids that get the right answer when we ask questions to keep them attentive. Um, but because of the language barrier, we'd have some kids that would, answer questions that were just completely off the ball. Like we had a, we like asked one question, like how many disciples does Jesus have? And one girl like raises her hand and she's like, she's like, yes. As if that was the answer to the question. I think we just gave her candy anyway. Um, this other kid, we were like asked a question like, I don't know, like what book of the Bible are we in? And uh, he raises his hand so confidently. He's like, Jesus. And you know, yes, may, maybe 90% of the answers were Jesus, but that poor kid, he just missed it out on that time. But anyway, um, this was one of the stories, John chapter 13, this first part with Jesus washing the disciples' feet that I presented to the kids. And this is my first time reading it there. And I remember reading through it and I was thinking, I was like, God, please do not let them ask me any questions about this dialogue between Peter and Jesus. It's kind of weird. It's kind of strange. I don't really know what the significance is or what's going on. So let's, hopefully the kids will just forget it. And I remember after I finished reading, I asked them, I was like, okay, can anyone tell me what's going on here? And this one girl's like, oh yeah, you know, Peter like doesn't want Jesus to wash his feet. And then she like wants him to like wash him completely and all this stuff. And I was like, okay, yeah. And I just, I think I kind of just, you know, diverted her to the end of the story and the point about being a servant leader. Anyway, I say that to reassure you that I, I, I do understand the significance of this conversation a little more. And that's why I want to share it with you. Um, but anyway, yeah, great, uh, great trip. Anyway, let's, uh, yeah, like it's so confusing though. Look at verse Verse 8, right? Peter said to Jesus, Jesus, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. What does Jesus mean, right? That's what I really want to break down today. But before we go too deep into it, I want to give you a, a brief historical context of the concept of foot washing. So in the ancient Near East, there were pretty much two reasons for foot washing. So foot washing goes back, we see um, evidence of it in the Old Testament, people do it. One of the reasons foot washing was important, it was, it was just practical. So you have these people in the, in the ancient Near East, right? And they, they have open-toed sandals and they are walking on these dirt roads, um, you know, miles and miles each day. Um, and especially if you, uh, if you weren't wealthy, you didn't have a carriage. So all the walking, all the transportation you did was on foot. Um, so you're walking through mud, probably some grass, 
some rocks, and after a while, this debris is going to gather up. You're gonna have, I don't know, you're gonna have dirt, you're gonna have mud, you're probably gonna have those little pebbles like stuck on the soles of your feet or in between your toes, whatever. And not to mention that, but you've got the sweat that's really making all this stuff start to cake. And then you add in the fact that you've got pack mules and donkeys and camels walking along the same roads um, that these people are walking on. And so all of their feces, is there are probably particles of feces that are getting caked on these guys' feet too. So needless to say, Jesus' disciples' feet were stinky. Um, so it's just practical. But the second connotation that foot washing had was that it was used symbolically to represent the cleansing of moral transgression, um, for forgiveness, for the cleansing of sins. Um, whereas something that was something that was dirty and something that was filthy and something that was constantly in contact with the world now is washed and cleaned and purified. That was used symbolically to represent forgiveness and cleansing. Um, so the fact that Jesus, right, in verse 3, when it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, right, and that he was going back to God, the last thing he wanted to communicate to his disciples was to give them a tangible picture of what his cleansing of their sin was going to be like. So just in a few hours, Jesus is going to be arrested. He's going to be torn away from his disciples, these friends that he's had for three years. And they've been with him 24-7. Um, and he wants to communicate to them in the, most, in the way that they can most understand what he's about to accomplish for them. Because we know the disciples, they're kind of thick. They don't really understand what Jesus is about to do. They don't understand what kind of Messiah he is. They don't understand what the purpose of him coming to die on the cross is fully. And so he's hoping in these last minutes, he decides to wash their feet and to show them, hey, what I'm about to do for you tomorrow on the cross, when I scream it is finished, right? All this pain that I'm going to go through for you, it's going to be to cleanse you. It's going to be to cleanse all your dirt and your filth and you're going to be pure. You're going to be pure. You're going to be innocent. You're going to be clean. You're going to be safe. Right? So that's what Jesus is communicating here. But he's also trying to show them, trying to show them that they need to let him in. They need to let him do that. Because this cleansing is a two-way street, as we see with Peter. So let's think about what Peter is thinking about in this moment, right? So scholars say that there was kind of this like U-shaped couch that they would all sit around to have dinner. Um, and based on the way the text tells it, it seems like Peter's the last one who gets his feet washed. So he must be sitting on the end. Um, so Jesus gets up, you know, he ties um, a towel around him and he goes and he starts washing each disciple's foot all around the, uh, all around the table until he gets to Peter. And Peter's been witnessing this and he's probably like, what is going on? And he's like, Jesus is like my teacher. And he's like, He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. Why is he washing my feet? And he, he probably feels incensed. He feels like this is uncomfortable. This is wrong. It's just unnatural. It's not okay. And so he says, Lord, he, he almost, it kind of seems like he tries to give Jesus a, a chance to uh, explain, uh, to admit that, oh yeah, this is kind of weird. 
Because he said he looks at Jesus, he says, Lord, do you wash my feet? Kind of like, Jesus, are you, uh, are you actually going to do this? And Jesus says, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. He's like, all right, you're serious. No, you're not going to do it. Um, Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Um, so Jesus, Peter is clearly uncomfortable and he feels like it's unnatural for Jesus to stoop to that level of handling his dirtiness and his brokenness and his, all the ook that's on his feet, right? And remember, right? Jesus is using this as a spiritual lesson to show how he needs you to be willing to be cleansed by him, to be forgiven. Our willingness to receive forgiveness is crucial to being in fellowship with Jesus. And Peter's not there. Peter is not okay with Jesus seeing any less than the perfect side of him, right? He wants to, he's okay with Jesus being his friend and dinner partner and him to be the person that teaches him parables and miracles. But when it comes to Jesus actually getting down and dirty with Peter's ugly side, with his broken side, Peter is not okay with that. Um, To give a 21st century example, right, of what Peter's feeling, this would kind of be like if you were, uh, if you were in your apartment, say, and you uh, you clogged the toilet. This is a little vulgar, but just go with me here. Um, And uh, and then. You, you, you're, you're, tr- you're trying to clean it and it's, it's really just not working. You're trying to fix the problem and it's not, it's not coming. And, uh, and then you hear a knock at the door and you go to the door and you open it up and it's Jesus. And he's standing there and he's got like a plunger in one arm and it's laid over his shoulder and he's like, hey, like, I am here. I'm here to unclog your toilet. I'm here to fix your mess, right? Well, what would anyone do, right? We would probably naturally say, hey, Jesus, no, 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 no. This is my mess. This is my crap. You, you, have, you don't have to fix this. We would probably take the plunger out of his hand and ask Jesus to come sit down on, at, at the dining table and we would give him, um, we would offer him whatever food or drink we had because he's a guest of honor, right? It's probably what Peter's thinking here too. Like Jesus is a guest of honor. He does not need to be handling my mess and my filth and my yuck right? And, and, and because of this, you know, Peter's probably, yeah, he's, he's just super uncomfortable. And like, this is, this is supposed to be a representation of how Jesus deals with our sin, with our shame, with our guilt, with the things that we don't want anybody else to see. But Peter is not comfortable to come to Jesus and be honest about these things. Right? That, that, that's the job that a savior does. The savior does the, the dirty work. He saves you. He saves you because you're in a dirty place. You're in a messed up place. And, and Peter, Peter, by his actions, is showing that he's not willing to accept Jesus as savior. You know, Jesus is called many things in the Bible. He's called savior. He's called Lord. Wonderful counselor. Prince of peace. Mighty God. Right? Emmanuel, God with us, right? He promises to never leave us or forsake us, right? His presence, he's a friend, he's a brother, he is, yeah, a counselor, a shepherd, you know? But the one thing Jesus is not is a buffet, right? Because we we can't go to Jesus and we can't only want him in one aspect but not the other, right? Jesus is either 
all of those things to us in relationship, or he's none of them at all. And see, that's, that's what Jesus is saying when he says, if I do not wash, you can have no share with me. <laughs> Look, Peter has known Jesus for three years, intimately, right? Like, they've been hanging out, they've been traveling all over Israel, all over Israel for three years together. They know each other pretty well. But clearly, Peter is not ready to accept Jesus as Savior. Right? He's not ready to accept him as Savior. And that means he's not ready for that intimate relationship. He still wants to keep it superficial. Because he doesn't think Jesus can handle the weight of his crap. And you know, a lot of times, a lot of us, that's what we do with Jesus. You know, we know him. It's not that we don't know him. Um, it's not that we don't go to church and hang out and know all the right things to do and to say. But when it comes down to our sin and our shame and the things like our mess, we don't want to give it to Jesus. We don't want to give it to him. Now, most of us would never deny with our words that Jesus is our Savior. But when we act like Peter and refuse to admit, when we refuse to admit our sins before him in all honesty, we forsake not just his forgiveness, but a relationship with him altogether. Look, Peter, in his, in his reluctance, in his uncomfortableness, he, he goes so far as to say, you shall never wash my feet. And in, in the Greek word that he uses here, never, connotates never to eternity. Like Jesus, you will never wash my feet. Not in this life, not in the next life, never. This is never going to happen. The thing is, we prefer to come to God with everything figured out. We prefer to come to God and instead of admit our failures, it, it explain all the ways why we don't need cleansing. By this, we tell that we don't trust Jesus as our Savior because we want to justify ourselves in our hearts before God. You know, instead of coming to Him with the mess of like, God, I have... My heart is full of these wrong desires. And uh, God, I want you to change my heart. I want you to fix me. God, please forgive me for doing that. You know, we, instead we try to justify our motivations. We try to justify all of those things to present a good and perfect image before Jesus. But we're not fooling anybody, right? So trusting Jesus and being in relationship with him doesn't mean just going to church on Sunday. It doesn't mean just... That, Acknowledging him as Lord, it means trusting him as Savior. It means trusting him as Savior. We must first accept the humble service of Jesus to cleanse us, or else he can have no fellowship with us. I like to think about it this way. Trusting Jesus as Savior is like when you go swimming, and you know in the elementary um, swimming classes, they, they try to teach you to, you have to trust the water in order to be able to float. Um, on your back on the water. I, I, I'm terrible at this. So clearly I have trust issues with the water. But if we think about this in the context of trusting Jesus, right? The reason why I have so much trouble trying to float on the water is because I do not trust the water. I do not trust the water behind me that I cannot see and that I do not understand to support my weight when I am not doing any of the supporting. I would much rather be safe and secure and support my own weight. But Jesus is asking, right? Jesus is inviting us to let go 
of all of these things that, that we want to fix, but we really know are way out of our league. Right? And he's inviting us to, to lay back and to trust that he's God. So it's almost like Jesus' trust fall, right? Um, yeah. If we can trust Jesus with our souls eternally, then we can surely trust him to forgive us and to make us new and to grow us out of these sins and things that we struggle with. But what holds us back from this, right? It seems so simple, right? It's our pride, right? Pride holds us back from being open and honest in relationship with God. It separates us from God. Uh, commentators, Guzik and Temple, on, the, on this, this pride of Peter, they say, sometimes we show a servant's heart by accepting the service of others for us. If we only serve and refuse to be served, it can be a sign of deeply rooted and well-hidden pride. Man's humility does not begin with the giving of service. It begins with the readiness to receive it. For there can be much pride and much condescension in our giving of service. Right? This, this pride makes us want to do all these good things, right? But for the wrong motivation. It makes us want to do all these good things to justify ourselves and to convince ourselves that we are good people, not in need of any cleansing, right? It's like, like Peter was fine. He's like, nah, Jesus, I got this. Don't worry about it. I don't, I don't want to have to humble myself, right? And, and this is the same pride that separated us from God in the garden, all the way back in Genesis, right? God made Adam and Eve. He made all of creation. Then he made humanity. Adam and Eve is the pinnacle of his creation. In the image of God, he made them, right? Male and female. And they were in perfect harmony and communion with God, in perfect relationship with him and each other. And the Bible says that they were, they were naked, but they were not ashamed, right? They were in this complete, clothed in complete acceptance and love of God that it didn't matter. Like they could be vulnerable and they were fine. It was natural and it was good. But as soon as they decide, hey God, you know, we know that you defined good and evil for us, but we actually want to define good and evil for ourselves. And so they eat of the fruit of that tree and, and they decide, hey, we, we want to be our own God. And in, in stepping out of that relationship with God, they immediately feel the lack of the love and acceptance that they once had in that relationship. And so it says they suddenly look at each other and they realize that they're naked. They realize that they're uncomfortable with who they are because they've stepped out of that acceptance, because they've done the wrong thing, right? And they're no longer justified. But, but right here they had a choice, right? They could have gone back to God and, and explained the whole thing to him and been clothed again in his love and his acceptance. But instead, right, what do they do? They go run and they go hide and they try to put these fig leaves all over their body to try to, to try to cover up what's uncomfortable, to try to cover up their shame and their guilt, and they just want to ignore it. They don't want to justify themselves before God. But they go and hide because they know something's just not right. And you know, isn't that, isn't that how we are with God? Like we, a lot of times we prefer to come to God in our pride with everything figured out. And we don't want him to see us in a place where we're broken, where we need help. Because once we admit that to him, we admit it to ourselves. We prefer to come to God and instead of admit our failures, plead our cause and why we don't need cleansing.
We want to justify ourselves before Jesus. But what does the hymn say? Right? Remember this hymn? This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Right? This is all my justification, nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing I've done. For my pardon, this I plea, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is humbling. And this reminds me of the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector that uh, Jesus tells in Matthew. Um, I'm just going to paraphrase it here real quick. Jesus, Jesus tells the story of a Pharisee who was a religious leader. Um, and according to the New Testament, they were a very hypocritical type of leader because they, they publicly did a lot of religious things in order to feel righteous and to um, put up their pride and to feel more accepted and more self-justified, right? So he tells the story of a Pharisee and a tax collector who go up to this temple and they pray to God on their own. Now a tax collector back then, tax collector was somebody who when the Romans came and occupied Israel, they were part of the Jewish people who sided with the Roman occupation in order to be a tax collector and extort their brethren. Right? So the tax collector, it's almost like the lowest of the low. Like the, he's a sinner and everybody knows it. Like there's no getting around it. And he knows he's unworthy, right? So Jesus tells a story and he says, the Pharisee prays first. And the Pharisee prays to God. He says, God, I thank you that I'm not like that tax collector over there. I thank you that I'm not an extortioner, that I'm not a liar, that I'm not a cheat, that I haven't committed adultery. And he goes through all this list of stuff that he's glad he is not. And then, you know, Jesus flashes to the tax collector and he's over in the corner. He's on his hands and he's on his knees. And Jesus says he won't even, he won't even lift his, his, his eyes to heaven because he's so, he knows he's just so unworthy of God and God's acceptance and God's love. And says he just, he beats his breast and he says to God, God have mercy on me, a sinner. That's all he says. That's all he says. And, uh, and what does Jesus say, right? He says, I tell you, this man, this tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. See this word justify that Jesus used, he, 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 that Jesus uses? In the Greek, this word justification means to declare or to pronounce someone to be just, righteous, innocent, and free. Just, righteous, innocent, free. Look, these are things that we all long for. We all long for these things. We long to be back in that state before Adam and Eve ate that apple, to be in perfect communion with God, to be perfectly justified, to be perfectly innocent, to be perfectly free. But we can't do it in our own pride. It's something God has to give us. I, I imagine this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector as if it were in a courtroom. And their prayers were kind of their, their pleas for the defense, right? And, you know, God's the judge. And he brings up the Pharisee first. And uh, God starts to lay out, the, uh, lay out all the accusations against him. He's like, Pharisee, you know, you are uh, listing all the ways that he... 
He, he failed to love God with all of his heart and all of his soul and all of his strength and all of his mind. The ways that he failed to love his neighbor as himself. The ways that he put his own selfishness and ambition and pride above others and, and neglected the poor and all of these things, right? All of these, these things that we, we end up doing almost unconsciously all the time. And, and, uh, but you know, for his defense, what does the Pharisee say? Well, at least I didn't sin as bad as that guy or as openly as that guy right? But that doesn't cleanse anything. That doesn't change anything. There's no relative morality with God, right? No one's going to go to a judge and be like, hey, uh, I know I stole that car, but at least I didn't steal two cars like that guy, right? No, that's not going to get you off the hook. We don't just arrest the worst criminal. We arrest all criminals. And so God as a just judge is like, hey man, if that's where you stake your righteousness, if that's where you stake your self-identity and that you didn't do anything as bad as that, sorry, you know? And then they bring up, they bring up the tax collector, tax collector. And he, uh, and you know, God lists out the same things, right? All the ways that he failed to love God the way he should, all the ways he failed to love his neighbor as himself, all the ways that his selfishness and his pride corrupted his actions, right? And, and what is this, what does this guy say in defense? He says he can look and he can say confidently to God, yes, those belong to me, all of them. I take responsibility. But for my part in this I plea, nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? As Luther said, I know I deserve death and hell. What of it? Because I know the one who suffered and who died and made satisfaction on my behalf. And where he is, there I will be also. There I will be also. You know, this, this man, this, this is true justification, right? Because Jesus, Jesus is the one who justifies us with his grace, right? We, we didn't deserve it. We did fall short. We did fall short. I, uh, in our pride, we just don't want to accept his grace. I, um, I remember when I first started working at Ruby Tuesday, um, I think it was Easter of 2018, I decided that day, I saved up a bunch of my tithes and I decided to um, pay for a bunch of people's meals. Um, I'm a, I was a waiter. So, you know, when they asked for the check, I would, uh, you know, I'd print out the check. I'd kind of like pay for it myself. And then I would, instead of putting the check into the checkbook, I would put a card, um, like a little index card. And on it, I wrote, um, you know, your debt's been paid. Your slate's been wiped clean. You're free to go. And I was like, this is what Jesus does when we come to him. Um, he, he wipes our sins away, right? Everything that we feel like is holding us back, he, he forgives us and he welcomes us. And, you know, I had got a lot of mixed reactions. I got, I got some people that just started tears welling up in their eyes and they asked me about it. And I told them this one guy, he's like, he's like, yeah. I'm a pastor. Like, I'm a pastor. And I, uh, he's like, I want you to tell me about the grace of Jesus. And, and we talked about it, and we got to just kind of share the beauty of Jesus' grace for both of us because we both mutually understood that we were unworthy of God's love apart from that justification, apart from Jesus' death on the cross. Um, and then... I remember the last guy of the day. It was, uh, I was about to close up for lunch. 
And, you know, I did the same thing. I, I, I uh, paid for his meal and I, I put the card in there and I left it on the table. And uh, but a few moments later, he ushers me to come over. And um, he's, like, uh, he's like, who did this? And I, like at first I was like, I was pretty scared. I was like, uh, I did, sir. And he said, he said, this is not right. I want to pay for my meal. And then he kept asking me questions like, what, why did you choose me? Why did you think I needed this? Right? He's like, this is not right. I can't help but think, isn't that how we react to Jesus' offer of grace so much of the time? Right? Jesus is like, hey, I know you messed up, but here's my grace. And we're like, whoa, why do you think I need that grace? Oh, did, did I mess up here? And we're, we're, so, we're, so focused on, we're so focused on our self-image and trying to, trying to convince ourselves that we're good, that we don't need cleansing, right? That we just ignore that grace, that we spurn that grace and that forgiveness because we want to be able to be self-sufficient, right? We want, and we, 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 we lose it. And, and I know this for myself. My heart has the tendency to so want to justify itself rather than to accept the justification and the free gift of grace that Jesus is giving me. Right? But we need to stop forsaking true fellowship with Christ for a false sense of our own innate goodness. We need to stop forsaking true fellowship with Christ for a false sense of our own innate goodness. We're not good. You know, we, we need, we need Jesus' grace. We need Jesus' grace. And this repentance and this grace, oftentimes, as Christians, we kind of think this is a one-time thing, right? We're like, oh, I accepted Jesus. Now I'm good. You know, he's forgiven all my sins and that's that. But that, that's not the idea, right? While Jesus' foot washing of the disciples was pointing ahead to ultimate cleansing and satisfaction of God's wrath on the cross, it also shows us our daily need to repent and be cleansed by Jesus anew every day. Right? This was, a, this was a, da- a, a, a daily washing. Right? But yes, and it comes from the cross. It comes from Jesus' sacrifice there. But it needs to be played out in our daily lives. Right? It's like, you know, I, Jesus, if, if, if I only tell, if I only tell um, Kayla that I love her once, and then I'm like, well, I don't, I don't need to say that anymore, right? Because I already said it once, so it should be good, right? It's just like that. Like, Jesus, is, Jesus overall, he sacrificed and he forgave us. But, but, but walking this out has to be a continual relationship with him as we come to him and we ask him to bind up the broken places in our hearts that we keep, that we keep discovering as we grow with him. And that he continues to change us and we invite him to do that. We invite him to do that. Because as Jesus is knocking on the door of our hearts, to, to let us in, to, to let him in, to increase intimacy with him. We also have to take that step and initiate that as well. Just like Peter, right? Jesus was initiating the cleansing, but Peter had to accept it. Peter had to accept it. Sometimes we think that the gospel message, right? That this core gospel message of grace and forgiveness is something strong Christians move on from in maturity. You know, they move on to thinking about spiritual gifts or moving on to 
um, how best to analyze the Bible or leading Bible studies and all these things. Right? And these things are good. These things are things that Jesus wants us to do, right? But, but they, they, have, they have to come after the gospel, right? And the gospel is something we have to grow in deeper. As we, we don't move on from it, we grow deeper in it. We grow deeper in grace. We grow deeper in, in repentance. As uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German theologian, um, said in his book, Cost of Discipleship, he writes, the gospel must be sought again and again. It is the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. <laughs> so while our forgiveness and cleansing was bought once and for all on the cross, right, our relationship with Jesus means a daily cleansing of sin in which we come to him and we just are honest with him and we are open about our brokenness. It's a relationship, right? And Jesus is making this point right before he dies because he's saying, look, this is the type of cleansing, this is the type of relationship I want with my disciples. Before I go, I want you to have a tangible way of understanding that, right? I want to cleanse you. And I'm always going to be here ready with the towel and the water to cleanse you and forgive you if you would just come to me and open up. If you would look to me as Savior. Right? And when we come before him, when we come before him that way, we are pronounced free and, 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 and innocent and justified. And our souls can rest in that. I just want to take a moment right now if... Uh, Wherever you're at, you just want to close your eyes for a second and just, just think about, think about the all-encompassing power of, of God, the love of Jesus, right? To wash these disciples' feet that don't even know what's going on, right? Before he dies, a brutal death for them. And I want you to think about your brokenness, the things that you're struggling with, the things that weigh you down, the things that you're ashamed of, whether in the past or whether in the present, whether it's things you're worried about in yourself in the future. Just imagine, just know, don't even imagine it, just know. Invite Jesus into that. Invite Jesus into that because he wants to be with you in the mess. Don't shut him out of that. Don't shut him out of that. I, uh, I went through a period in time a few months ago when I felt like I was putting, I was feeling justified by all of the good things that I was doing, all of the ways I was serving God and serving others, and even reading my Bible in the morning when I was supposed to be having time with him, it just kind of felt like a checklist. Like, oh, this is, if I do this, then, you know, God will accept me, you know. And then I realized, like, that is not the gospel. You know, the gospel is that, the gospel is that we are, we are broken and we need help. We need saving. And when we come to Jesus for that, when we just rest in Jesus, then all those good works flow out of us. And it's not motivated by a pride by a pride that wants to justify itself. It comes from a humble love of knowing that that's the way that God loves me. 
I, I can serve people because Jesus serves me every day. First and foremost with my brokenness. And then secondly with material things in my life. And yeah, and so I, I just, I started just, I would just close my Bible. And for like a week or two, when I had my time with God, I would just sit and close my eyes and imagine Jesus just washing, just cleansing my feet. And I asked Jesus, Jesus, why are you doing this? He said, because I love you, son, and you're mine. And I just, I could just relax in that. It's like the trusting the water. I could just lay back and know that no matter what I was struggling with, no matter how ashamed I felt, right, God loves me and nothing can change that. And I can rest in that and love people that way. And he's making me new and he's making you new. Trust him that he is. So, yeah, I, uh, I thank you for listening to my message. Um, wrap up here with a prayer real quick. Dear God, I thank you so much for the way that you love us so unconditionally. I praise you for the way that you are constantly pursuing a relationship with us, even when we run away, when we hide, when we try to cover ourselves, when we, like Peter, verbally refuse you, refuse your invitation, God. I thank you that your door is always open, that you are always knocking on the door of our hearts, God. God, I pray that you would help us to continually seek, continually seek more intimate communion with you. Not just superficial knowledge of you, Lord, but intimate communion where you are, where we invite you into the messiest, darkest parts of our lives, God, and watch you transform them from the inside out. Lord, I thank you for your forgiveness. Um, I thank you for your provision in these times, God, especially with the coronavirus. I pray that you would you would keep us safe, Lord. You would guide us in the ways that we can help and serve our community from a place of knowing how we are deeply loved and served by you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I hope to see you all again soon. Peace be with you all.